Romans 8, 12 through 7. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. May God bless the reading of his word. What is it that you are afraid of? What fear lies in your life, in your closet, so to speak? I want to actually ask you today, on the back of the little note cards that we provide, if you've got a pen, if you can rummage one up, to write on the back, what is it that you're afraid of? And write it down. If you feel like you might be short for room, just pick the top two or three. What things do you fear? Maybe you're kind of starting off in life and you're worried about and fear about what your peers think or what your grades are going to be, what scholarships you'll be able to keep. Maybe your parents aren't doing good and that causes fear in your life. Maybe you're wrestling with uh, what in the world am I going to do with the rest of my life? And that's one that we kind of come back to sometimes later in life. And that can cause fear to not know what's next. Maybe it's something in your past. Something that happened. A trust that was broken. Abuse. Some sort of secret that keeps you up at night. What if they found out? Maybe it's something in your family, you know, is my spouse going to leave me? Or the choices of your kids, or the choices of your grandkids, or just the stuff life seems to throw at them. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's who's going to take care of me. When I get a little further down the road. Maybe it's worrying about not being needed anymore. Being put out to pasture, so to speak. Maybe you watch the news. (laughs) And it's just so much that makes you feel like, what hope is there for this crazy world we live in? And fear creeps into your life. What is it you're afraid of? Write something down. And we'll come back to it. 
But on, on that uh, encouraging note, what, uh, welcome back to the Me and God series where we're examining this question of, of who is God and what does He have to do with me. And, you know, instead of exploring that in like an encyclopedic sort of way where we try to just describe what God is like and, and we try to just break down His relationship with you, we're actually kind of approaching it the way that the Bible tends to approach it. And that is with different metaphors for God and for us. Our relationship to one another is described in a bunch of different ways. And oftentimes it uses metaphors that, that don't describe the whole picture. You know, they don't paint the whole picture, but they give us a bit of truth, you know. And so as we've kind of jump-started this series again this summer, uh, we've looked at God as our Redeemer and the debt that we owed and how he redeemed that debt and, and we've looked at uh, God as master and us as slave and that was a little different <laughs> feels a little different we're not used to thinking of ourselves as, as slaves but Jesus says we're all slaves to something either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God and so there's an element of truth to that metaphor as well and it painted a different picture of God than perhaps you're used to, and I, and I told you last week. You know, if you're if you struggle with that whole concept, you know, and that's a little uncomfortable for you, we'll stick around because this one ought to be a little more comfortable. Uh, it's the near opposite, the near opposite of being a slave to someone, especially in that day, was being their son, being their heir, being their child, and Scripture also talks about. Father and child. In fact, they use that metaphor right alongside that metaphor of slavery <laughs> to describe our relationship to God. Maybe we need both. If you missed the talk on slavery last week, and I encourage you to go back and listen because it's central to the Christian walk is this idea that we all struggle with sin. And we need to make sure we know who we're working for when we wake up each morning. And so go back and listen if you can. CypressStreet.org slash listen if you missed that. But you know we all, um, this week as we look at father and child, we think about that. And we're going to talk about the connection between fear and fathers. Especially between fear and fatherlessness. Now I struggle with fear, just like you. We all, it's a universal thing. You know, this, this is appropriate that father and child's falling on Father's Day, but don't make the mistake of thinking this message is just going to be for dads, because I don't know if I've ever preached a more universally needed message than this one that deals with fear, because it's something that we all experience. I mean, I remember when I was young, you know, dealing with that question of what am I going to do with my life? I dealt with that all the way through college and now I'm not even really using the degree that I got. You know, It's just, I dealt with that. I also dealt with, what if I never find the one? You know? I mean, there were seasons there where it was bleak <laughs> to say the least. What if I never found, what if we never get to have kids? What if that never happens? And then once we finally got pregnant, what if I lose my wife? Because she got so sick, as many of you know, that walked through this last one with us. 
You know, and still, you know, I think about, I have to wrestle with it. You know, what if I never get to retire? You know, it seems like that may never happen. Still got a ways to go, but you know, with the stock market and all that business, it's just not the same world <laughs> of the generations before. And there's always things to fear and to worry about in each new season of life. Did you know that children that grow up in homes where there's fear present, it affects their development. I mean, I'm no sociologist, but I've read enough to know, and I took, you know, sociology one and two or whatever in 101 and in uh, in college, and and fear in a home, you know, whether that's from a lack of provision, whether that's from an abusive parent or substance abuse in the home or just instability of some kind, fear in the home affects their develop their development, their ability to. You know, cognitively, emotionally, behaviorally, all those things develop as they should. And the same is true for adults too. But did you know, I found this interesting this week. It seems to me that the list of effects of growing up in a home with fear is very similar to the effects that they list for growing up in a fatherless home. In fact, about they say about one in three kids grow up in fatherless homes, and uh, but that's not most kids. But did you know that most kids who are juvenile delinquents come from fatherless homes? That most kids who are high school dropouts or have behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes? Did you know that most youth suicides occur with kids that are in fatherless homes? I experienced in my own life, and still do from a different perspective, the effect that a father, a good father, has on the level of fear in a home. And, you know, my mom was a good, strong lady, self-sufficient in so many ways, independent in many ways, and yet I can tell you that my mom and I lived with a lower level of fear in our home for having our dad there, my dad there. And I see that same thing happen now that I've got kids in, in their lives. And, you know, we've, we've been blessed that Hadley hasn't had just a ton of, like, the bedtime fear, you know, of, um, you know a little bit. But I, I one time she was talking about, you know, uh, Julie was trying to put her to bed that night. And she was talking about scary things in her room. And, and Julie just said flatly, there are no scary things in our house. Daddy doesn't allow that. <laughs> And so far, she's bought that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, which I'm feeling a little added pressure, you know. But I, I know I have no combat training. I cannot wrestle a bear and come out alive. You know, I, I'm not one of those, you know, Superman kind of guys. And yet my presence in the home helps somehow. With all this, a good father's presence in the home, just even a decent father's presence in the home, helps drive out fear. And we don't have to have some sort of fancy degree to figure that out, do we? Because we see it play out around us. Could it be the same with God? 
Could it be that the fear in your life that is holding you up from developing spiritually or other areas of your life as well it can affect? Could it be that the reason you can't kick the worry and the fear is partly due to the fact that you haven't adequately accepted the fact that you have a heavenly father? How does a good father fight out fear? I thought of a few ways that made sense to me. A good father fights fear by lovingly setting boundaries for his kids. You know, rules. You can do this, you can't do this. Um, those rules oftentimes are for the safety of the child. But even beyond that, children just need boundaries, Right? And they thrive with that. And it's a, there's a sense of security and knowing that there's someone who says, you can do this, you can't do this. There's a sense of security that comes with that. A, a father who lovingly provides for his family and helps make sure that there's enough of, to meet the basic needs of his family so that the kid doesn't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from and that kind of thing. A father who lovingly defends his family a father who lovingly provides hope to his family. And that happens in a lot of ways, you know. Uh, who offers forgiveness, encouragement, wise advice and counsel. Maybe even in a tangible way at some point, leaving an inheritance. You know, things like that that a father does that provide hope for the future for his family. I want to suggest to you that just as a father drives fear out of his home, we need to understand and wrap our minds around this idea of God as our father. And it will help us with our struggle with fear. I think we'll see that. This scripture passage that we picked up in actually picks right up where we left off last week. Where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he's been talking about their struggle with sin. And he comes to this chapter 8, which is like the central climactic chapter of this whole and just incredible book that, I mean, we call it a book, he called it a letter, but it's like the best, most thorough theological breakdown of the gospel that you can find. And in this chapter, is just central to it. And what's amazing is, you know, he's still going with this metaphor that we started with, he started with around chapter 6 of talking about how we were slaves to sin, but now we need to be slaves to God. We need to put the things of our past behind us. And we pick up where we left off where he said in chapter 8, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, we're no longer slaves to sin. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that's where we left off last week. Putting to death the deeds of the body. But watch how seamlessly, I mean, Paul's like a master of metaphors, and sometimes it's almost confusing. I mean, he's interweaving multiple metaphors at a time, and, and this is one of those cases. And watch him make this transition. In the very next verse, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. All who are being led 
by the Spirit of God. These are sons of God. Now, ladies, don't feel like you're missing out. <laughs> because sons were the heirs. He's just grouping you in with the heirs. For all who are led by the Spirit, whether you're male or female, whether you're slave or free, whether you're, you know, he would have said, whether you're Greek or Jew, uh, you're sons of God if you're led by the Spirit. He goes on with this. For you've not received a spirit of slavery. There's that metaphor again, still there. Leading to fear again. But you've received a spirit of adoption. As sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Dad. Father. Now, if you were here last week, or if you've picked up on what I've been repeating in the last few minutes... What were we slaves to? Sin, right? Slaves to sin. Which, and he says that slaves, being a slave to sin leads to what? Being a slave to sin leads to, say it loud. Fear. Have you ever thought about that? That sin in the world, your sin, other people's sin, is where all that fear comes from in the first place. I mean, think back to the story of the fall of man where sin first entered the world. And Adam and Eve sinned, and the first thing that they did was run and hide. Something new had entered creation. Fear. And we've been dealing with it ever since. You know, if you're vain, then you're afraid of your hair turning gray, right? If you're, if you're uh, you know, a glutton for food, then you're afraid of not having enough food or, or not having good enough food, more likely. If you're... The list can keep going, you know. If you um, are... If, you, if you're full of lust, you know, then you fear... Not having pleasure in your life. The list goes on and on. But, on the other hand, if we're not slaves to sin anymore and we're slaves to God, if we're slaves to the Holy Spirit working in our lives, then we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. And it was just so interesting to me that Paul drew the same line that we just drew a few minutes ago, where we said that. Fatherlessness in the home is linked to fear in the home. And similarly, Paul says, he draws the same line from fear to father. For Paul, the antidote, the anti-fear, <laughs> is understanding God as our father. He says, you're not slaves to f- leading to fear again in your life. This isn't about, you shouldn't have fear in your life because you have been adopted into God's family if a earthly father can drive fear out of his home, how much more do you think our father in heaven can drive fear out? Carries on with this same idea of God as our father and he says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, there's a lot in there, and bef- I know that probably the part, if you're like me, 
that kind of got your attention was, if we suffer with him, right? <laughs> and we'll get to that. But I want to just mention what, what it means to be an heir. Because when you're adopted as a son, especially in that culture, you were the heir of the father's authority. You were the heir of the father's household. Everything that the father had passed on to the next generation of sons. Especially if you were the firstborn son. But in God's family, Jesus is the firstborn son. And we get to be co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be co-heirs with Christ? Well, what is Christ going to inherit? Try everything. (laughs) And what does it mean to be a co-heir with Christ? It means we have a share in everything. This is hard to wrap our minds around. But I think I thought of an example that I wanted to share with you, and, and I think this will also help us understand the whole suffering bit at the same time. And there was a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer that lived during World War II in Nazi Germany. He was German. And he was also a theologian, a pastor. He wrote a famous work called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he delivers a pretty amazing commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, this famous collection of Jesus' teachings to his disciples. And this stood out to me as I was reading it a little while back where he's working through the Beatitudes and he brings up this statement that Jesus made that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth or the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. And he's talking about how these disciples of Jesus are blessed because they're meek. They're blessed because they're going to inherit the earth and how counter to our wisdom that runs. And he he says this, and and think about this in the context that he lived of Nazi Germany. Think about this in the context of what we're talking about as well. When he says they, he's talking about the disciples of Jesus who are meek. Show by every word and gesture that they do not belong to the earth. Leave heaven to them, says the world in its pity. That is where they belong. But Jesus says, they shall inherit the earth. To these, the powerless and the disenfranchised, the very earth belongs. Those who now possess it by violence and injustice shall lose it. And those who here have utterly renounced it, who were meek to the point of the cross, shall rule the new earth. Now, if you replace those who now possess it by violence and injustice with Nazis you have an idea of why they were so keen to kill him. And they did. They put him in a concentration camp and they killed him. And this man was one of the first, even in the church, to see through to exactly what Hitler and his ilk were. And he steeled himself early on for the fact that he might have to suffer for doing what was right, for standing up for the gospel, for standing against injustice. And he did But do you hear the hope? Even as he looks forward and expects that there will be suffering. The hope, the Christian hope, is that we will inherit the new earth. And that those who try so hard to possess it now by violence or by terror, whatever the means, will lose it. 
And those who the world took pity on, who meekly followed Christ, will inherit it. And it puts in perspective what the Apostle Paul was saying when he said that we are heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I used to read that and I thought, man, do I need to find someone to beat me up for being a Christian so that I can be counted in? You know, because it says if, if we suffer. But realize that Paul is writing to people who are already facing suffering for being a Christian. It was synonymous with being a Christian. If you were a Christian, if you stood up for your faith, as Bonhoeffer would all those centuries later in Nazi Germany, you were going to suffer for your faith. We live in a strange land and time where for the last couple hundred years we haven't had to suffer for our faith. But that's not normal for Christians. That's not the norm, even today, in the world. It's not the norm. And it probably won't last forever for us either. Are we okay with that? This is the gospel. You know, if all this sounds crazy to you, this whole, all this talk about inheriting the earth, and, oh, we're going to be, you know, it's... Let's count our, you know, hopefully we can be counted worthy of suffering with Christ, right? Bold statements like that that, what? (laughs) If that sounds like crazy talk to you, you just haven't read your Bible enough. Because that is the hope of the gospel. That yes, we will suffer with Christ. Just as Jesus said, the slave is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And this is about a willingness to suffer. Are you willing to suffer for your Savior that suffered for you? If it comes to that, are you willing to do that? All the while clinging to the hope that's so much bigger than this present life and this present world. As heirs, as children of God, that's our lot in this life. That's our hope for the next life. None of this stuff that we read on TV, or hear on TV, I should say, about how happy God wants you to be right now, how blessed, how in perfect health, right, and wealth, and and just blessings, lots of blessings sprinkled out on you. (laughs) Sometimes you get the impression that that's all that Christianity is about, but that's not the Christianity of the Bible, and we're going to talk about that actually in depth later in July. Because this is a a theology that in many ways is permeating all of the church in America in so many ways, it seems like, and reaching so far. But our hope is bigger than that. Our hope is bigger than that as children of God. You know, one of the verses that they use to support that so often, that idea of if you're a Christian you're going to be prosperous now. One of the things that they use to support that is actually a verse found in this very passage where we're reading right now where Christ or uh, Paul is writing to people who are suffering for Christ and he says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those, you remember, have you heard this verse? 
We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And we love that verse. And we find hope in that verse, and we should. But let's not remove it from its context. The people who this was written to were suffering for their faith. And it was going to get worse before it got better because their emperor, Nero, was just getting warmed up. Many of the people whom Paul wrote this to never saw that fulfilled until they met Jesus face to face. Because they were killed for their faith. But they did see it face to face. And they believed that if they were counted worthy of suffering with Christ, then they would find that hope. They, God would somehow work even their suffering for the good of His kingdom and for the good of their lives. And doesn't this verse sound just like a good father? Don't miss out on that context either because Paul's still talking about God as our father. We are the adopted children of God. And isn't it just like a good father that when your kids get in trouble, you dive in, you start working things for the good. Right? They're in a mess, but a, a good dad gets his hands dirty, starts you know, making phone calls, <laughs> doing what he's got to do to work something for the good out of that bad situation. It's what fathers do. And I think we can just boil all this down to this. That the mind that accepts God as Father will reject fear as Master. The mind that accepts God as its Father will reject fear as Master. That's all well and good, but how do we do that, <laughs> right? How do we wrap our minds better around this idea of God as our Father? In a way that would drive fear out. And I want to return to these things that a father does that fights fear. And you could think of more things that God does. But maybe you need to embrace one of these in your life with regards to God. Do you need to acknowledge the boundaries that God sets in your life? And commit yourself anew to living within those boundaries? Because things don't go well when we get outside those boundaries. And we can expect fear if we're living outside those boundaries that God set for us. So maybe that's where you're at today and you just need to circle that one and say, man, a lot of fear would go away if I just lived inside the way that God has prescribed for me to live. Or maybe you need to accept God's promise that He's going to provide for your needs. And you're constantly in fear and worry about that, of what's next, of what's next. Who's going to take care of me? Where, where am I going to get what I need for the next day, for the next week? And maybe you need to work on just trusting God's provision in your life. Or His defense. What evil will overtake you if God is your Father? Or his hope, his forgiveness, his encouragement to your spirit, the hope that we have in Christ that we've been talking about that's so much bigger than this present life.
But if it comes right down to it, if the fear is big and bad enough, you may have to do what every kid has to do at some point. And that is get in a my dad is bigger, better, and stronger than your dad kind of fight. I mean, every kid has one of those at some point, I think. I remember one, I was, we were sliding on the playground. This kid named Sean thought his dad was pretty cool. He was not as cool as my dad. So, you know, it didn't come to blows, but it was close. You probably had some kind of similar story. We, I mean, how many, for eons, you know, as long as there's been dads, there's been my dad is better than your dad fights. My dad is stronger than your dad's fights, you know. And that's basically what Paul does next in this passage where he's been talking about, you know, we're no longer slaves that lead to fear. We're sons and daughters of God. We're children of God. We, call, we can call on God as our father. And he comes down to the end, this is, I actually want you to turn there with me back to page 1184. It's right where you were before. Just a little further down than what we read a few moments ago. And I want, to think, I want you to think about what it was that you wrote down. The fear that you struggle with. Romans 8, we're going to begin at verse 31. I want you to turn there so that you can find it again later. If you're on a phone or something, bookmark it, highlight it, whatever you got to do so you can find it again. Because if you struggle with fear, this is one you may have to come back to from time to time. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you hear it? See, Paul sounds like that kid on the playground, doesn't he? (laughs) Knows for a fact that his dad is the biggest, baddest, bestest. (laughs) He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Talking about the prophecy of the persecution and the suffering that those Christians were facing. And he goes on, he says, No, in all these things, which are pretty bad things, (laughs) we are more than conquerors. Some translations say we overwhelmingly conquer. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That cover your list? What was it that, that you wrote down? Did, did, that, did that, you know, cover that for you? <laughs> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What is it that you fear? Do you fear something from your peers? Do you fear what in the world am I going to do with my life? What if they leave me? What if my parents get a divorce? What if the secret comes out? What if my spouse leaves me? What if he hurts me? What if my kids don't ever get it right? What if my health fails me? Who will take care of me? What if this crazy world keeps going to hell in a handbasket, right? Knowing all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I think that about covers it, (laughs) can separate us from the love of God, our good Father, that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you need to wrap your mind around God as your Father? Let your good Father drive fear out of your life. Because His provision is bigger. His boundaries and rules are better. His defense is stronger. And His hope is far greater than any fear we might face in this life. And that's why those first Christians were renowned for their fearlessness even in the face of death. Because they knew who their father was and they knew what their hope was. Just imagine how freeing it would be to live without fear anymore. Free to really love Free to not be worrying about your feelings being hurt every time you turn around. Free to really serve. Free to really trust. Free to really live your life to the fullest for God. To do things for God that you would have been too afraid to do before. Free to grow in Christ. Free to live as God designed you to live. Wrap your mind around God as your father because a good father drives out fear. And the mind that can accept God as father will reject fear as master. Let's pray together. Father. Father.
thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Whether we have good dads or bad dads or no dads down here, it's such a blessing to have you as our ultimate Father. Sorry, God, for the times that we've allowed fear to have a stronghold in our lives because we haven't adequately trusted you as our Father. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to live our lives boldly knowing that our dad is bigger, stronger, greater than anything we face in this life. We love you, Father. We pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.